All right, welcome everybody to Embracing Radical Change. I am your host, Jocelyn Mercado, and in this event, you are invited to join with us in global conversation with 27 cutting edge experts and thought leaders who will guide you to connect with the truth in your heart, to unlearn the illusions of our modern world, and to unlock and activate bold new perspectives about the future of humanity. And today I am so excited to present to you Teal Swan. Welcome, Teal, to the event. Thanks for having me. So glad to have you on. And so let me just share a little bit about you, Teal, with those who may not know you already. Teal Swan is ranked 27th on the Watkins Most Spiritually Influential Living People in 2018. She hosts events all over the world, helping people from all walks of life to integrate their trauma and shadow aspects in order to heal emotional wounds plaguing their daily lives. Over the past six years, she has created a library of hundreds of powerful self-help and self-development videos on YouTube with over 65 million views to date. Teal is a renowned author of three books, which have been published globally in a number of languages, with her new book, The Anatomy of Loneliness, coming out in November 2018. And Teal, I'm really excited to talk with you about your topic today of loneliness, the worldwide epidemic. <laughs> so can you share with us, um, why did you decide to write a book on loneliness? It was a combination of factors, really. I mean, I had suffered my whole life from this kind of existential and psychological loneliness, like the worst kind of loneliness you can experience, which is not a loneliness which is solved by being in a room with other people. In fact, it's often exacerbated by it. And to say I was miserable because of that was an understatement of the century. The way that it felt going through life was like I was always behind a pane of glass. And it seems like that's the nature of loneliness. Loneliness convinces you you're the only one that's in it. So you're looking around at everybody feeling like they can connect and I can't. Why? And based on all my differences, <laughs> I figured, you know, it's just my issue. Once I connected with people and got away from my whole childhood experience and started to actually live in intentional community, it got a little bit better. But then I started going around the world and I realized when I was talking to people from every culture, all walks of life, genders, races, I mean, everything. Everybody was saying the same thing, which is they have this sensation of isolation. So I was like, okay, well, this is obviously not an isolated issue. It's obviously like an epidemic issue. But then I started to see this larger vision that, that separation, which is really what loneliness is all about, is actually the most dangerous thing on the planet. So I'll explain this. <laughs> for somebody to commit a crime against somebody, they ultimately have to feel disconnected from that person. Otherwise, when they commit the crime, they will feel the impact of that crime they've committed. So behind every crime in existence is a sensation of disconnection. So if you look at the Holocaust, if you look at Pol Pot's regime, if you look at the terrorist act, all of it, and little things like stealing too, all of it is a sense of separation. So I was like, all right, this is a way big issue. It's not a little issue. <laughs> And I didn't have the answer, honestly, at that point about what, you know, what, just what is it that creates loneliness and what is it that we can do about it? And so I did what I usually do, which is to go down the rabbit hole as deep as I can go. And I, I had this real intuitive urge to go down to the jungle in Costa Rica. I felt that the shamanic path was actually the right path to explore this with, you know, something super brutal, which just to be honest, the shamanic path is like really heavy. So, you know, I wanted, I wanted basically the truth blown out of everything. And so for three years, I spent time meandering down there in the jungle and on the shamanic path, figuring out what exactly created loneliness 
and what to do about it. And I emerged with this collection of papers, <laughs> basically, I mean, papers that were stuffed into this backpack smeared with like ash of Palo Santo, tears, sometimes vomit. <laughs> and, and I, when I sort of came back to the States, I had this collection of all of the insights that I've received, you know, having had all these answers. And so I transmuted all the information on those papers into this book. And, and I was like, I got to get this everywhere. I have to get this into the hands of every person who has experienced loneliness. And I got to talk to people who have access to, you know, a large demographic of people because this is such a societal issue. It's not just an isolated issue. Yes. Wow. Very powerful. Very powerful. That story of how your book was created. And I think it's so fascinating that you turn to indigenous wisdom and the shamanic path. I know so many people in my audience really resonate with that and, and know the power of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about how loneliness affecting the human race? Well, loneliness is creating every addiction that you see today. I mean, this is not even, you know, somebody spiritual sort of parachuting in here and saying loneliness is behind all addiction. This is now scientific. You know, if you take lab rats and you put them in a cage by themselves, they become addicted to substances. These are substances that previously we thought it's the substance itself that's addictive. But if you introduce the very same substance to a positive living environment, which includes other rats, they don't get addicted. So, I mean, it's widely understood even in the scientific community that isolation is behind all addictions. Now, addictions are on the rise exponentially. I mean, it's, an, it's such a huge issue that you can, if you go down to any of these government offices, they're talking about it constantly in legislation. Not only that, for somebody to commit suicide, they also have to feel as if they're in a, what I'm calling a parallel perceptual reality, which is another element of separation. Suicide, another thing that's exponentially on the rise. I mean, even you know me, I've been involved now because of writing this book and because of being so um, on the main stage in terms of one of the only people on the planet that wants to talk about suicide that now I'm getting involved by, um, by senators, by people who are in the government who are trying to create new protocols for suicide because it's such a serious issue right now. I mean, it's like tripling. It's ridiculous. So that's another issue that we've got going. Miserable relationships. I mean, that's just something that more of us struggle with than, than not. You know, how, what am I supposed to do in my marriage where I feel more lonely with this person in the house? What do I do with my friendships? I don't really feel super connected to any of them. And I'm kind of in an authentic state when I'm hanging around with them. Um, <laughs> I feel like there's so many issues, you know, crime, I mentioned that before, there's so many issues that have this loneliness at its root that, I mean, what you're watching is the slow destruction of humanity, the, the more separated and separated we become. So. Yeah, and what I'm thinking too, um, as I hear you speak, is that it's so important for us to really inquire about this and work on, you know, how can we heal this loneliness now because <laughs> we're going to continue to pass that along to future generations, right? If we, if we don't heal it now. Um, so I wonder what are your thoughts about that, you know, uh, about our, our children and our grandchildren now. And um. I have to believe that we're capable of turning this around, but what I'm seeing for the children of today is really scary. Um, you know, you, you'd mentioned that a lot of your watchers are sort of aware of this indigenous wisdom. And the reality is that what's natural to the human race is living in tribe. We are a social based species. It's one of the things I'm putting forth in this book. 
it's as ridiculous to tell a person they need to be alone as it is to walk up to a deer or a dog and say, you know what, you've got real dependency issues having to be around these other deer. So you should probably figure that out. <laughs> so if we embrace the fact that we're a social species, what we have to see is that we're, it's most natural to us to be in a group of people and to be in very close vicinity with them. And where this is so important for our children is that they have so many resources when we live like that. So, you know, in an old tribe type of a setting, if mom got sick or something like that, um, the child could go to an uncle or they could go to, you know, one of the, if it was a tribe that's not all family, there's like, you know, the friend of a friend. Mom has like three different women friends. So when you're coming into menarche, you can go talk to that woman if it's not your direct mother. So what we have to see is that when a child is growing up in tribe, they have so many resources to go to for different things, resources to get their needs met. And what I'm considering to be one of the most powerful aspects of resources, which is different ways of approaching issues. We're pretty limited. I mean, nowadays it's like, well, I hope your mom has the right belief system or your dad has the right belief system for, for whatever you're facing. Cause if they don't, you're pretty much screwed. Cause that's going to be the program you get. And schools are quite frankly, just especially with the amount of children that are inside of the classroom today, they're ill-prepared for dealing with the things that children are facing. So what I'm watching is with each successive generation, they get like less and less and less and less resources. And so it's really important for us, I feel like, to move back into community. I've made the personal decision to move into intentional community, which is quite difficult to do in the world today, but it's the best decision I ever made. I don't even know how I would function as a mother without this. Um, and I, I really feel like it's where, where the world is headed. And I'm watching more people who are sort of on this wave of consciousness moving back into close connection and close vicinity with people. You know, something that's fascinating me a lot, because when we think about intentional community, we're usually thinking about some sort of a cultist group that's off somewhere like half naked all the time. But in Scandinavia, they're doing all these experiments now with like single mothers, for example, moving into a high rise building and there'll be a communal eating space. And so one mom will watch all the kids or two moms will watch all the kids on a given day. And so you have so much more time and the kids have so many more resources and the, the results are so good that it's like spreading across Scandinavia. So I'm hoping it kind of crosses the pond. <laughs> That's an incredible story. I hadn't heard about that. Yeah. Really beautiful. Well, so what are some ways that you recommend for us to regain our connection and to kind of step out of that? separation if you don't mind sharing with us oh, i got so many suggestions i don't even know where to be in um, <laughs> well the first thing that i would suggest is actually authenticity this is a step that doesn't necessarily involve other people um, most of us we don't realize how isolated we are because we're in a character what we don't realize is that the process of socialization which all of us went through at a certain point in our childhood made it so that we believe that certain traits inside us were acceptable and certain traits weren't so as a result of that, we, we tailor ourselves to whatever character we feel like will get us received the most. And this is where our trouble begins. We're essentially in, in social experiences, we're pretending to be a certain way so that we'll get a certain reaction. And to do that, we're keeping a whole giant section of ourselves behind closed doors. Okay. And that would be kind of like an actor who's constantly in character trying to feel a relationship. It's not going to happen. So the way that I like to describe this is imagine you had a mask on and somebody kisses the mask. You can't feel their lips. And the same thing happens on an emotional level when we're in this character. We're keeping a part of ourselves which really needs to be touched emotionally away from the other person and so it can never be 
be accessed. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really scary step, but really putting who you are out on the center of the table is the most important thing to do. Of course, we, we got to sort of seek within ourselves for what it is that we are versus what we portray. And it's real hard for people to admit to that. You know, most in my intentional community, when people first move in here, it's like, I kind of got to corner them. Is that really what you think? Is that really what you're feeling right now for them to be like, no. Okay. And then put the truth forward. But what's really awesome about doing that is that most of us, we would rather almost isolate than be in a group of people because when we're inauthentic, it's that tension of constantly paying pretend. And that tension is gone once we do that. So it's like the more authentic you can be around people, the more tolerable it is to be around them all the time because you're not going to be any different when they're there versus when they're not. And, you know, it's something that I wish all people could experience is that, that degree of freedom. Yeah, that's really profound. That's really profound that that tension just goes away, you know, and you can, you can be yourself more. I know that's something I see in my clients and in my community, you know, so much that we, we just hide so much of ourselves, you know, oh. don't anywhere near fully express who we really are because um, we've been trained to from the beginning you know yeah and I feel I feel like this is a social movement too because we gotta allow people to also be themselves without giving the consequences that cause people to do this it's something that I'm I'm hoping that I'm doing and training other people to do so that when somebody brings the truth of themselves forward it's not going to be used as leverage later it's they're not going to be shamed for it you know so i feel like we all have a responsibility to kind of make this a safe space for people to be able to learn to do that because i mean it's obvious why we've hidden ourselves because we've met with consequences when we didn't you know even now like i've committed to the path of authenticity which is very strange for somebody in my position telling the truth about how you really feel is pretty much the worst decision you can make a spiritual teacher but i've made you know it's it's been incredible how like some people in society have received it so well and you know in other scenarios, I've been drugged into courtrooms and they've used everything that I've openly admitted about myself as proof about why I, you know, I'm a horrible person. So it's like, I get, I get how scary it is, but I have to be committed to, to this place, you know, being one where we can actually be ourselves. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So how can we integrate loneliness? How can we kind of really acknowledge it and accept it? Well, step one, you're freaking lonely. Most people are lonely. The reality about coming down into this, this embodiment, I mean, if you call yourself by one name, then you're operating through your, your human ego. I'm not the first person to teach about the ego. Pretty much every spiritual teacher in history has taught about the ego. It's just the concept of a separate self. And that in and of itself creates this uh, sense of separation from everything else in existence. So I feel like admitting it is the first step you know i have to admit i am lonely sometimes i am lonely most of the time for some of us i'm lonely all the time you know it's like we're afraid to admit to it that's why it's sort of like this secret devil we're afraid to admit to it because we feel like we're the only ones that, that feel that way but we're not so after we admit to that we've got to find the aspects of ourselves that are lonely and what i'm saying in this book is it's the aspects that are the most lonely are your shame selves oh uh, this may be an interesting concept for people because I use the word selves and what I'm also suggesting is that this fragmentation or this perception of separation isn't something that's just perpetuated in the external world. It's something that is occurring internally. Mm -hmm. So let's describe shame for you. <laughs> when we interact with somebody and we perceive ourselves to be pushed away by that person, especially in childhood, we cannot survive that experience. It's it's something that all of us is against because our nervous system is completely programmed for closeness with the social group. 
So whether or not you want to buy into my concept of what a human being should be living like, you still can't argue with the fact that a, a, a baby is completely relationally dependent. So if a tiny baby is born, you leave it on the floor, you don't feed it, you don't do anything with it, that baby's dying. So closeness with the social group is the only way that that baby survives, meaning the entire nervous system is set up to try to establish closeness with the social, with whoever your life is dependent upon. And it's actually a more important and more crucial drive than even drinking and eating. So, so what this means is if mom or dad pushes me away in some way, and that can be as simple as a look on the face. It can be, you know, something they're saying to me, a punishment, whatever it is, anything that I perceive to be a push away, I'm going to identify what it is they're pushing me away for. And in the instantaneously create a triangle inside of my own psyche, whereby I establish rapport with that person I'm trying to get close to again, by pushing away that aspect of myself. And the pushing away of a part of myself is a biological affective reaction, which is where most people are going wrong with shame because they think it's an emotional state. The emotion of shame is totally secondary to the reaction, much like fight or flight of shame. So to push me myself away from myself, I can't actually do that, right? If I say that, I'm pushing myself away. We're like, okay, well, you can't do that physically. And obviously, if I tried, I cut myself in half, right? I, I can't push a part of my physical body away without dying, but this is not how the consciousness works. And with, when it comes to the consciousness, I can absolutely split myself in half. And so anytime I push a part of myself away because someone else is pushing me away because of it, I create a split in my own psyche. And the more that I do that, this is really important to understand. If I, if I push you away right now, I can't do that without simultaneously pushing myself back. So I actually, be, I make myself separate and isolated by doing that. And the more I do this with more and more and more and more parts of me, I register that sensation of isolation and separation internally. This is the primary cause of that sensation of loneliness within us. So the way that most people go about healing shame, though, actually propagates the issue or perpetuates the issue. Um, most people deal with shame by saying, okay, you think you're a bad person. You think you're an angry person, but let's not go there. Let's look at how amazing you are. Let's look at how not angry you are. Let's look at how forgiving you are. But by doing that, we're actually creating a further separation between ourselves and this aspect. So what I'm putting forth is that the primary way to solve this um, epidemic of loneliness within ourselves is to actually reown the aspects of ourselves that we've pushed away. It's like it's beyond radical acceptance. It means if I push my anger away because my mother pushed me away because of my anger, then I have to bring it closer. I have to try to understand it. I have to see its perspective as valid. I have to, if it's an emotional state, I have to validate the emotion. Um, in coming to understand those aspects of ourselves and really, really listen into, feel into, and reconnect with them, inevitably we start to make actions in our lives that change the way that those selves relate to the world. So this is what I'm about to say is actually super profound. It usually takes people a few times to re-listen to it before they really understand the implication. But if I establish connection with you, then if I hurt, you hurt. So naturally you can no longer express whatever it is you're trying to express in a way that's detrimental to me. So a lot of these aspects that we're terrified of within ourselves, if we actually establish connection with them, they go through a transmuting process 
where, whereby they become exalted. Um, so let's go here. Let's say that, let's say that the aspect of me that I'm always shamed by, by other people is being an energy vampire. Let's say that I had a mom that was like, why are you sucking on my energy all the time? I can't stand it. Why are you doing that? As if I'm not tired enough, right? The part of me that kind of sucks on people that's an energetic vampire, I'm going to push away. Because I'm pushing it away, it's now separated from me, and the expressions that you'll see this aspect take are highly manipulative. If an aspect can't get a need in a certain way, it's going to go around the, the back door. So this is going to be a type of person that steals vital force from people who does all kinds of victim control drama to try to get their attention. I mean, it's the worst kind of manifestations of an energy vampire you can see. Let's say, though, that I reconnect with this aspect. I start to see, oh, it's a byproduct of feeling like my needs weren't met. What might this aspect really directly need? And through this kind of questioning, through seeing into it and feeling into it and coming to understand it completely, I reestablish a connection with this aspect. It's now connected to me. By doing that, it can't continue to act out in ways that are detrimental to me. And so you start to see a shifting in the way that that energy vampirism expresses itself. That now becomes the best energy worker you've ever met. That becomes a type of person who's able to, to basically suck in energy from things like cancers. So what they're feeding off of is not people's vital energy, it's energies they no longer need. And so this fear that we have about reowning aspects we don't want to associate with ourselves is really unfounded. Yeah. Yes, this is very profound. I'm taking it all in. Um, but I, I love what you're expressing here that, you know, when we are able to look right at these aspects of ourselves and real and actually go into them and accept them and even love them, right. Yeah. As being a part of us, then it changes everything. Yeah. And I want to put forth this idea because we don't understand the word love. Most of us say love and we assume that there's, that love is going to be some high, you know, vibrational, positive appreciation state. Love is much more simple than that. It's to take something as part of yourself. That's simple. So the practice of love doesn't have to be, you know, I feel so warm and fuzzy and amazing towards this aspect. It can evolve there and quite often does. But if we only start at the place where I consider this to be part of myself, we are in the practice of love. And what I'm putting forth on a social level is this is what we need to do with those people that we, that we address as those people, you know like our criminals who are sitting in prisons today, if we're willing to own them as part of ourselves, then we see that they're actually the expression of our own shadow. And, and then by doing that, we will bring them closer to us and by their reconnection with us, now the expression that, that they take in their day-to-day -day lives is not gonna be what it has been. Yeah. Yes, thank you. I, I would love to explore um, something that you mentioned briefly a little bit earlier, which was that we can be lonely even when we're with a person. Right? Oh, that was my experience. For sure, I was married for 15 years and have two beautiful children. And when I realized that I was lonelier together with him, you know, than I would be apart from him, that was, it was quite a profound moment. So I wonder if you have anything you'd like to share about that because I think it's this radical change that we're experiencing so very often we're in relationships that are just not uh not for the highest good for either person right um and we can we can change so much and move forward so much in our lives by expanding outside of those relationships as people we are not in the practice of intimacy 
Um, let me define intimacy because most people hear that word, they are automatically thinking about sex, so it makes it super awkward. And I'm like, you need to be very intimate with your children. And they're like, eh. But um, intimacy, the way that I define it, is to see into someone. It's to feel into someone, to listen into them, so as to totally understand them. With genuine intimacy, you're becoming an expert on someone. And obviously, we have to be willing to feel in order to do that, because anything we're perceiving off of each other, we feel through our own body. And so it's our unwillingness to feel things that makes us pretty unwilling to connect with other people. But what we need to be doing is to get into the space of intimacy in all of our relationships. And quite frankly, most of us don't. And what that leads to is what I'm calling a parallel perceptual reality. You know, I'm, I'm a spiritual teacher. Everybody wants to know tell me, Teal, about like all of these different dimensions in the universe. And, you know, I, I don't even like doing it because the ones that we need to be focusing on are the ones that are taking place in the same room. The, the most dangerous parallel perceptual reality is something that most of us actually experience on a day-to-day basis. It's I'm in a different perceptual reality than you are. So I'll explain one of these common scenarios that will happen. It's actually in childhood and it'll wake a lot of people who are watching this up because it's so commonplace. And then we can move into adulthood. For the first example, let's look at a family that has a, a first child. So this child, let's say they're like two or three and mom gets pregnant again. Once mom has that baby, mom and, and the firstborn child are going to enter into a parallel perceptual reality pretty quickly if it's not dealt with right. Mom is going to perceive, oh, we're having a new baby. It's going to be more stressful, but I'm so it's like really good because this little kid who I have is going to have a sibling, and then they're going to eventually be able to play together, and so this is a good thing. That's her perceptual reality. When she brings that baby into the house, I'll explain exactly what it's like for a toddler. For any of you who are watching today who have partners, I want you to imagine that today your partner, whether it's a husband or a wife, or a you know, living boyfriend, I mean, somebody that's like, I mean, this is your, your rock, that's your partner, walks in the room today and says, I got some good news. I met someone else, and you're going to love them. I mean, you won't be able to spend much time with them in the beginning because they're going to take so much of my time, and they're not really going to be able to you know, interact with you much. But because this is a new relationship, I'm probably going to be spending more time with them, a little bit more time than I was with you before. But you know, I have more love to go around. And they're going to be staying. So you should be happy about it. And then if you react, so imagine yourself reacting and being like, that's not okay. I didn't sign on for that in a relationship. Imagine being shamed for it. How could you be so selfish? This is ridiculous. This is normal. All kids get, get siblings. That is actually the emotional experience or the perceptual reality that a, that a firstborn child goes through when the second one isn't introduced in a specific way. I should say when the second one is introduced in a normal way. So right there, you can see how the perceptual reality of the child is completely different than the perceptual reality of the adult. And as a result, because that parent isn't hacking into the perceptual reality of the child, there is no way to help the kid resolve those, that emotional state. And so the child suddenly feels completely separated from the person who was their partner. And when I'm given that explanation, people have to get that that is actually the emotional relationship your child has with you, especially mommy. So... So that's just an example of you know, one of the parallel perceptual realities that happens in childhood. This happens all the time in our friendships, in our adult life, and even in our partnerships. Where, you know, to the, to the guy, it's like, what? I just stopped by a bar on the way home. I don't love you any less. But in your reality, it's like, but if you loved me, you would choose me. 
and you would choose to be with me, so you must not love me. These are two totally parallel different realities. And if we stick to our parallel perceptual reality, meaning this is the reality, and then there is no intimacy between these two. And so what starts to happen is the gap gets wider, gap gets wider. And now we're in the same room, but we're kind of isolated in these two bubbles whose membranes never allow us to touch. And now, now the person's presence makes it worse. Because you know, when we're alone, at least we can say, okay, I'm alone. But it's almost like feeling the emotional distance or the, the thought distance between yourself and the other person in this room just makes it torture to have them there. It's almost like being in a candy store when you're three years old and having them be like, you can't eat anything, but have fun watching everyone else do it. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. So that's a parallel perceptual reality. But I mean, we also experience these even then let's say, you know, the Democrats, when you watch Democrats and Republicans, if you can get completely into the perspective of a Democrat, it makes perfect sense. If you get completely into the perspective of a Republican, it makes perfect sense. So, you know, this is actually the thing that scares me the most. I mean, people like to ask me that. Teal, you know all this stuff. What scares you the most? My answer is parallel perceptual realities. Because everyone's right from their perspective, even if it's completely juxtaposed to the other perspective. So, right. you know. Yes. Very fascinating. And so, so how can we, um, how can we work with that? What do you recommend as far as, you know, do you, I, I imagine two people have to agree to cooperate to try to enter into each other's perceptual realities, but how do you see that? Actually, it sort of depends. It depends what type of relationship you want. Cause you know, if you're in a partnership, it's gotta be two people. This is sort of the unfortunate thing. If you want a genuine relationship, both people have to commit to that connection and commit to maintaining the connection. But we aren't completely limited to another person's decision to get into our perceptual reality to at least get into theirs. And I'm actually putting forth this practice I like to call the octopus technique. It starts as a visualization, but as people get more and more you know, aware it sort of progresses to a genuine out-of-body journey where you can exit your individual perspective and literally drop into somebody else's perspective as if you're, you are literally walking in their shoes. And it is so amazing. You know, so it's, it's not that somebody has to feel and see and hear you for you to really feel and hear and see them. So what I'm trying to get people to do is to get into the practice of that. You know, I've made this a real radical process for myself. So I will practice this with every single person. I don't, I, there's not a time in my life where it's like, oh, because this is a professional setting, I'm not doing it. I'm like, no, I'm doing it all the time. So if I go into the grocery store and I'm sitting across from a teller, even if it's a five second interaction, I'm practicing that. I'm really deeply watching them. I'm listening completely. I'm trying to feel into them totally so as to sort of penetrate the separation that occurs. I want to try to get into wherever their reality is. And it's drastically changed the interactions that I am having. And even me, it's making me less alone, you know, because even if they aren't, you know, generally connected back, I'm not feeling so much of that separation. So, you know, and what's crazy is how desperate people are for it. I don't even need to speak and they can feel the fact that there is that level of like connection or closeness they don't usually get, you know, because people usually maintain their distance. And well, I can't tell you how many times people have just started breaking down because of it, or they look up and they're like, Hey, how are you doing? And I haven't seen you in here. I'm like, so we're all like so desperate for it. We're almost crashing into each other just to try to get it. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And we do, we walk around with kind of like masks over our faces, right? Not expecting that kind of interaction at all. Yeah. Oh, and I love it in America. I love it because like we have this thing where you go, how are you? But it, it's not because I actually want to know. 
Yeah. It's because I expect for you to be like, good. I'm like, okay, well, it was sort of a greeting, you know. And that's sad to me. And that's another thing that I've done to shift this up is that when people say, how are you? I actually answer them. Not great today. And it sort of like shocks people, you know. <laughs> but, yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for what you're sharing here. And I know you have a wonderful free gift um, mm -hmm. for our audience. Would you like to say a few words about that? Yeah, actually, for people who are pre-ordered the Anatomy of Loneliness, if they send a receipt to gifts at tealswan.com, that's my website, um, you'll receive a, a free audiobook of the connection process. So when I first wrote this book, it was like a 500-plus page manuscript. And what we decided, because I really want to raise this issue in the mainstream so much, is that we would take the highly esoteric aspect out of it and actually make that into a second kind of a booklet. So the connection process is three esoteric processes where you can create genuine intimacy with another person's internal world. And the octopus technique that I just described is actually part of this connection process book. So if you order Anatomy of Loneliness, you'll get an audio download of that connection process today. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. And so for everyone who's watching this as a recording later, um, just scroll down a little bit below the video and you'll see that link there. And I'll put the link in the chat in a minute here for all who are on live. Um, so, and also, Teal, is there anything else that you want to share? I know we've, we've shared a little bit about your book. Do you want to say anything more about that or any other projects that you're working on right now? I can't work on any other project because I'm so like committed to this and I've been doing, I've been doing interviews every single day. I like, I'm, I'm so psycho driven to get this issue of loneliness in the mainstream that I literally can't dive into anything else. So this is pretty much it. <laughs> well, it's a fantastic endeavor. So thank you for doing it. Yeah. Well, we can go ahead and open up the lines for Q and a now. Um, so anyone who would like to ask Teal a question, please go ahead and raise your hand and we will bring you on to chat with her. And we have lots of hands raising, so she have some good questions. Um, and for anyone who's wondering how to do that, um, just go ahead to the, the Zoom screen in the bottom center, there should be a hand right there and <laughs> it says raise hand. So you just click on that. Okay, so let's see, we have lots of people. So we may not be able to get to everybody, but we'll get to as many as we can. So Nina, I'm gonna bring you over now. And those who are coming over, you can keep your video on or you can turn your video off and let it be audio only, whatever you are most comfortable with. Okay, welcome Nina, we can see you and hear you now. Welcome. Hi, greetings from Berlin in Germany. Hi, greetings, greetings. Thanks for Hi. joining us. Well, my question is, does abortion have any further impact on the separation issue? Because when I first did your completion process deal, I, um, I felt uh, being aborted and put into a, a metal, like a metal box. Hmm. Uh, no one um, recognized that I was living and um, did I just make that up or was that really happening and I have the feeling that I'm spending my life um, with like this a mixed message being not wanted and being wanted but um, I feel like my whole life is one big mixed message 
Have you talked to your mother about the circumstances of your birth and pregnancy? Well, the birth itself? No, like I'm more, I'm more interested in the pregnancy. What was her reaction to finding out she was pregnant? With me, then, um, oh, she loved the fact and she was very looking forward to, to have me. Um, yeah. But I have the feeling that I did not want to um, come through her. I wanted, in the first place, I wanted to incarnate um, through her mother, actually. But that didn't work out because there, there was in, in wartime and the bomb crashed and she had, she lost the baby, which I felt was me. Okay, then, so that's, that's, it's a transference that's happening. So what happened, actually, you were involved in all of that, but what happened is upon coming into this life, you actually inherit all of your ancestral trauma. So all of the ancestral memory, and that memory would have actually happened in your grandmother. And your, by the way, when your grandmother is walking around, your mother's already in her. So because, you know, we are born with all of our, all of the eggs. So yeah, get this it. is one of those, you know, I, past life stuff, I don't actually even get into because because that's not what's actually creating the trauma. It's the ancestral trauma. So, so what you're going through when you're, when you're doing the completion process is a, is a resolving of the ancestral trauma, which would have been around the time of your grandmother's incarnation. Okay. And why, why is it that I feel uh, disgust towards my mother, even though she's um, a nice person and I've never, I, I could never connect to her. Never, I like. I didn't want to be touched as a as a child, and um, yeah, I still I've, I feel this is not my mother. I've never had this feeling of connection ever to anyone. Part of my problem is that you've already made your mind up about what kind of person your mother is without going into the this sort of completion process over and over and over and over again to recover some of the memories that you've got in very early infancy. If you've got that type of reaction towards your mother, chances are she was either totally enmeshed or else completely unpredictable. Those are the two patterns that cause a person to cope by totally withdrawing from the, the maternal figure. So I, what I can promise you is that you're not insane. Like right now you're sort of saying, you know, I must be nuts because this woman isn't, you know, what I'm looking at today doesn't match the way that I feel. But I can promise you, if you could get back to those types of um, childhood experiences, which you can if you keep going into the triggers around isolation, you will have those memories. Memories where, you know, for her, I'll just give you one example or an example plus an explanation. When they did studies around attunement in mothers and children, what they found is that a, even the best mother in the world is only attuned to their child 50% of the time. Meaning when a kid is giving them a cue, that's their rate of, of positive response or accurate response. And even that is enough to establish a, a super safe connection with a child. So if a mother doesn't understand the cues, can't respond to a child, and of course they would have a hard time doing that if the same thing happened to them, then the child basically is left in a state where it's the, another parallel perceptual reality state. Um, mom knows that when she goes to use the restroom and is gone for five minutes, that it's going to be five minutes for a baby that can't communicate. They don't know that. So it feels eternal. So there's all these kinds of experiences around, you know, I can't connect to this person or this person might even be dangerous. I mean, all it takes is mom being too rough with the baby and not even realizing that the way she's moving around that child is rough for a child to start to become terrified of mom. And, and these types of experiences you wouldn't even know to look for. 
that's why I'm why it's so important to use these triggers in real time, you know, in your adult life to to go back to these memories. And I can promise you that you don't even need to know what they are because you know that process. You can use it to go back. But if I were you, I'd just keep doing it over and over and over again with the understanding that you absolutely feel this way for a valid reason. It's not because you're nuts. Okay. Good. Thank you. Good. Yeah, thank you, Nina. Thank for you. Thank you. Yeah, have a wonderful day. Okay. We have a question in the Q&A that I'll go ahead and just read because um, I think it's I think it will be very interesting for our conversation. Um, this is from Becca, and she says, does a person who is energetically sensitive and gets drained from superficial so social circumstances, or sorry, from superficial social experiences, um, have any hope for someday enjoying social and outgoing? Yes, you're looking at one. <laughs> Fantastic. No, I, I'm that way. I'm totally that way, you guys. And this is a two-part answer because there will come a day where you just can't be surfacy anymore. I crossed that bridge a long time ago. I literally can't do it. And I won't because it's such a self-betrayal. It feels like crap. So I just decided I'm not doing it anymore. I'm going to walk into the room and I'm going to be exactly who I am and talk exactly like I want to talk and go deep as hell from moment one. And that's just going to be what people expect of me. And what happened is this interesting cleansing process, which really sucked because when we're in kind of any kind of transit, it doesn't really feel comfortable. But during that transit, all these people who don't want to have those deep relationships just exit. And what fills in are people who really do want that. And so now it's like I'm surrounded by people who are just the same. They can't have a surfacey conversation if you paid them to, which is awesome. But also what we have to know is that so many of the women, and I can tell you that are on this group, maybe even men, if you really care about saving the planet, radical change and stuff, chances are you're on the empath spectrum. <laughs> so if you're an empathic person, I would love to tell you that that, that always is like this amazing gift that just comes into you when you're born but really what's usually happening with impasse is that you perceived the people in your childhood experience to be um, not super safe in one way or another either emotionally or physically or both and so what happens is a hyper attunement and what I mean by hyper attunement is like if, if I get in the room with you now what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of tune my channel to yours this is what's really happening with empaths, by the way, because empaths love to think that they're just taking on everyone else's energy. It's not actually what's happening. If I walk into the room with you, I'm going to take my own frequency, my channel, and I'm going to tune it to your frequency so that I'm instantly receiving everything that I can receive from you. That's an amazing thing to do if you're doing con it consciously. But because it's something that our subconscious mind has taken over because it was our mode of survival, we do it without even really intending to, and then it really sucks for us, and we feel like we're like sponges kind of walking around in the world without realizing that we can actually, whatever we focus on, we can attune to. But what we have to notice is we usually don't. We're usually attuned to the most dangerous thing in the room or the thing that's suffering the most. So it's not like we feel like it's a choice when it is. And let me explain because some people don't understand why that would be a coping mechanism. If you're an unsafe person, I have to, especially unpredictable unsafe, I have to be completely attuned to you so that every move you make, I know what your next move is going to be. That's how I judge how I'm going to react so that I can get the reaction of you that keeps me the safest. And so many of us grow up in our life, childhood experience thinking that that's actually a normal state. But just like when we first learn how to swim, it's kind of hard to begin with, right? We can't really 
do that and think about anything else. After a while, when we do the backstroke over and over and over again, suddenly it's like we can eat a sandwich and do the backstroke or like have a conversation and do the backstroke. And that's how this attunement process is happening. So if you're on this empath spectrum, which so many of you are, know that when it comes to intimacy and establishing connection, you are already leagues ahead of the game. But to feel powerless to that is unnecessary because it is that it's attunement that's happening. If you focused on anything else, you could attune to that thing and then your entire frequency would change. So we can choose then, right? Yes. We can choose what we want to attune to once we become yes. that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you may, you may choose to attune to whatever's the most suffering thing in the room. You may choose to attune to the most dangerous person in the room, but just the frequency of the, of that free will and free choice changes the entire dynamic that's occurring, which is usually this powerless process which makes most of us as impasse run away and you know when I was younger I used to wear hoods everywhere I went it's like you couldn't even access me because I was felt so inundated but yeah yeah yes that's very helpful I think that will be extremely helpful to many many people in this audience <laughs> yeah all right let me bring somebody else over um this is welcome Ibtisam. glad to see you on here let me unmute you. There we go. Hi, Hi welcome. Hi. Good oh, to wow. see you. It's great to see you online, too. I, I got to know about you almost two years ago. And to be honest with you, when I first saw a couple of your videos on YouTube, you scared the shit out of me. Oh. And I just said, like, okay, I can't take it. But, like, with, with Jocelyn's work over the last one year, I think I can. And I'm... <laughs> I'm pretty much attuned to everything that you say in a very, very deep way. Uh, when you talked about loneliness right now and uh, about the intimacy, that's actually the work which I'm trying to bring in now uh, with magic of intimacy. My question is that, you know, when what you, what you just said that you almost can't, I mean, I, I, I'm in, incapable now of having any weather talk, superficial conversations. It just doesn't happen. I just, I can't do it anymore. It just doesn't work. Uh, but um, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm really still on the crossroads. Uh, it's about the choice now. And um, it feels a bit stuck because I know the only way forward is that direction. It's, it's almost like choiceless for me. But there is something at the back which it's almost like a hook. And, you know, a couple of speakers before, like even what Becca said, that um, it almost seems that there is something energetically, I, I almost can't explain this, there is something which is, it's just holding me, uh, holding me back. And I was working with this magic model, which is about the magic of intimacy. I was seeing the light, I'm, I'm doing all the shadow work, trying to integrate the two with masculine and feminine. That's the work I want to bring in. I'm just wondering if you can shed light on that. What is that? Is it it's, the energetic stuff? I'm still a bit new to. I can't totally grasp it, but it feels I'm sort of stuck between. Um, it's like saying even with intimacy, say it's my mother's mother's bit, and then there's my daughter's bit, and I'm somewhere in between, and there is a war there, and I'm supposed to be this sort of cross where things get transmuted and I can't figure that out. Does it make sense? Yeah, you're a bridge. 
So, so in your work, you're meant to be a bridge between people who are kind of still part of the old paradigm and the old way of thinking and the old separation and the new paradigm. So for you to let totally go of that perception that people have that keeps them in an authenticity, for example, would be unhealthy. So would, so would staying in it. So it's sort of like you're meant to sort of be the bridge that helps people who are still stuck in that way of thinking transition. You know, sometimes when people like myself who are totally on the other side of the boat come in and speak, people have the reaction you described. It's like, you know, almost shoves them back to where, where they're committed to already. So I really feel like that's your path. But part of this hook that you're feeling is actually a, a fragment within yourself. It's a part. Did you ever watch my video titled Fragmentation, the Worldwide Disease? I'm not sure. I, 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 I really want you to do that. Um, if you watch the video, Fragmentation, the Worldwide Disease, in there, I'm describing the process of fragmentation that happens internally. And I also give a process for how to deal with that one aspect of your consciousness. And I want you to do that process, but with the part of you that doesn't want to fill in the blank with whatever it is. So in your case, you're like, is it sort of being completely authentic? Is that how you would put it or no? No, it's not about, in fact, that's, that's the bit is not scary at all. I think it's it's got to do with uh, motherhood as an issue, like you okay. know the all you know the the all giving, the all embracing, the the martyr of a mom, and then being sandwiched between a sort of a narcissistic mom and it, it's it's a peculiar di dynamic, and I feel that's what's. But to begin with, what you started off with was that um, you feel like you want to go all the way in your that crossroads but there's a hook so you could even go into the hook as, a, as literally a separate part within you <clears throat> and start to what I want you to do is use left-hand journaling do you ever do that because it's amazing so if you learn if you use left-hand journaling and you allow your your whole body it's like you're actually going to be doing intentional channeling but from a part within yourself so you intentionally channel that aspect you let it take over your whole body so let the rest of you go and you literally just become i am the this hook that i keep feeling i am that hook now you start writing from first person perspective as that hook and see what it has to say it's going to blow your mind so you say i'm the hook and you start writing more that way you don't just say it you you imagine that it's taking you over you could do this with anything you want in existence so let's say that I could say, okay, I, I choose with my free will to become a raven. So it's almost like I'm not just going there mentally. I'm almost surrendering and allowing that energy to take over my body. It's actually deliberate channeling. But when you channel a part within yourself, which is actually what that hook you're feeling is, it's incredible for self-awareness. So I'll give you another example. Whenever you want to go forward, by the way, um, you're headed in one direction, but you feel that hook. It means that a part of you is headed in the opposite direction. It seems like self-sabotage, but self-sabotage doesn't actually exist because I can guarantee you when you talk to any of those parts that are opposing whatever you want, they're convinced that you getting what you want is the road to hell. So it's actually trying to save your life. So let's say that I am like, I want to go on stage, but I just feel this hook. I can't, I don't know what it is. If I go into that aspect of that hook, chances are what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to realize pretty soon that what I'm in is a part of me that's like, no, if I go on stage then everybody's going to start like, my perception from that part maybe they're going to start throwing rotten tomatoes like i can't do that so that part the way that it expresses is obviously telling me that it's trying to save my life by making it so that i'm not 
getting on stage. And that hook that you're feeling is one of those self-sabotage, which isn't really self-sabotaging, is it? Because it's trying to save your life parts. So once you, once you explore that part, how it feels, what it's thinking, the thoughts that are associated with it, when it originated, then you, because you understand it, you can now offer it thought that helps to purify its frequency. So, you know, it's only when I fully understand that part of me that's terrified of having rotten tomatoes thrown at it that I can maybe come up with a thought which would help it to align more with getting on stage. And, and once you feel that internal kind of click, click, click integration process, your momentum will start going in the same direction. It's kind of like if you've got a boat here and you've got three paddlers that are going in the one direction and three that are going in the opposite direction. When you work with those parts that are headed in the opposite direction to kind of or reorient them around, now you've got all six aspects going in the same direction. And, and that's like when you see these sort of powerhouse, you know, what you're meant to sort of be here on the planet. When you see these powerhouse women, they're meant to really change things or men that's what's happening it's that all they've got all their characters in the boat aligned in one direction <laughs> yeah. i love that <laughs> all thank right. you so much yeah thank you teal thank you Ibtisam, for your question have a wonderful day okay i think we can take a couple more are you okay to have a couple more questions teal yep okay um garima i'm gonna bring you over Trying to unmute you here. Yeah. Hi. Oh, hi. there we are. Hi, Garima. Welcome. Uh, hi. Hi, Jocelyn. Is that how we call your name? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Hi, Teal. I'm so excited to talk to you. In fact, I can't believe it's happening, but I'm glad it's happening. Um, so uh, my question is that I've been trying to work on my sexual abuse problem uh, as a problem. I mean, it causes a lot of trauma, actually. And I've, I've been doing completion process, but I'm not able to um, get a resolve. As in, um, I feel uh, quite lost and I'm trying to find out that why, why is it that despite of having all the pieces together internally, I feel that it's impossible to, you know, bring myself together. You want, my on you want my honest answer? I feel, I feel I, I'm fake. I feel my pain is not real. I'm not real. That's tech. That is how you will feel. Do you know how I was describing earlier on in this, this um, whatever we're doing, interview? What I was describing is this idea of a parallel perceptual reality, right? If, you're, if your parents or the people in your experience never really saw you, never really felt you, never really understood you, then yeah. you never had anybody close to you. The reason that you feel real as a child is because you get mirroring. So when you're angry, if I go, oh, I see that you're angry, or even if I do something worse than that and react to your anger, at least I'm acknowledging that it's there. So if you're having that sensation, chances are you were around people in your early childhood environment that literally didn't even react. So it was a kind of situation where you throw a fit and they walk away. Okay. Or, you know, by the way, your culture, I'm going to just have to be honest. Yeah, please do. <laughs> your culture is actually the worst on the planet for enmeshment. So if you go into the typical, um, in the typical home in your culture, what you'll see is a child says no or pushes it away when they're little. I'm not hungry. And mom goes, you're hungry. So 
So even the fact that the kid doesn't want to eat is not even acknowledged. So it's almost an assumption that a child is going to be born into the experience as an extension or a doll for the parent. Okay. So the reason that you feel the way you feel like this invisible, like I don't exist thing is because of that dynamic. And the reason that you're not getting a lot of these fixes through the completion process isn't because the completion process isn't working. It's because you're not understanding how to get what, what those processes are telling you that you need, which is people around you who see you. So the, where the real change is going to happen in your life is when you start getting around other people, like actually getting around other people who acknowledge you. So okay. when, you, when you get angry, they're like, I see that you're angry. Let's talk about your anger. You'll start to feel like you exist again. You'll start to feel like you have that closeness. And because you're being validated, you're not going to feel like you're worthless. Yeah, but I do voice uh, a lot, whatever I feel, wherever I go. And I feel that I'm being too much and, and I'm being asked to like just shut up, you know? Yes, yeah, so you got to get out of that demographic of people. I mean, sometimes your resolution is quite simple. It's get away from the people you're spending time with into a completely different demographic of people. I mean, it's part of the reason that I created the entire Teal Tribe and part of the reason that I even travel around the world anymore. I hate traveling. But part of the reason that I like travel around the world to these different places is the hope that if everybody sort of gets together and they're listening to me, chances are they're going to be on the same page, right? Yeah. So chances are you come to one of these workshops, you're going to meet somebody else who, who feels that way. Oh, I'm sick of being around people that don't want to be around emotions, right? Okay. And, and so the power of, you've heard the word Sangha before, right? Sangha, Sangha is a word that they use in Buddhist circles. It's sort of like it's the people that you practice with. Okay. It's really important. I feel like for everybody, regardless of what spiritual persuasion you're part of, Sangha is critical. Because you, if you're part of this, you know, I, I need to be validated for emotions. You've got to be around people who are going to do that, you know. The same is if you're going to make meditation your whole freaking life, you've got to be around people who are like, oh, he's meditating. So, okay. so the same way that as a person who practices Zen Buddhism would go to a Zen Buddhist center to be around other people who are able to hold space for that process, you really need to actually physically get into a demographic of people who, who are okay with emotions and who will mirror. Okay. Okay, I get that. Okay. I'll try doing that. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you very much Bye. for your question. Have a wonderful Thank you. day. Thank you, you too. Thanks. Okay, for one more question, I have one that's in the Q&A that I'll read here that I think is interesting. So Annie says, Teal, I feel ambivalent. I yearn for connection, but childhood imprinting makes me terrified to get close to someone. I don't know how to connect. So what would you recommend for Annie? The first thing that you've got to do is connect to the aspect of you that's terrified. So for you the first step isn't actually connecting to other people it's connecting to that aspect of yourself because you haven't been doing that actually you've been sort of making it the enemy and bulldozing it um it's really common i mean when we really want connection if there's a part of us that's like no we're sort of we turn against that part within ourselves we actually make an enemy of it we're like oh god if you could just let me you know so the way we need to approach that self is the exact opposite so it's like radically being with the part of you that feels that way understanding its thoughts completely, having total sympathy for them, relating to it again. So it's almost like you got to relate, like deeply relate instead of cut yourself off from, deeply relate to that part of you that's like so terrified to be in connection that it can't hardly breathe and, and be with that emotion of absolute terror. And then what 
you need to do is to bring that aspect into the center of relationships. Of course, you got to choose your demographic for that because like I said, you know, to the woman who was on here previously, if you take that aspect into the center of, you know, the average demographic of people, it's going to get crapped on, honestly. So, um, but that's what a relationship is. You know, most people are like, I don't know what to do with the fear. Bring the fear into the relationship is the answer. That's what genuine intimacy looks like. So I would be the kind of person who, you know, I'd first sort of put my feelers out, especially in a community that's already oriented towards emotional presence. I would, I put it in the center of the table of the relationship. I'd say I'm terrified. You know, I'd even let myself shake. That's what I do when I bring people who with the terror of intimacy into my sort of groups what I have them do is to literally let their body just express what that feels like. So they may be doing this, you know, for like a half an hour. And all we do is literally just be with that aspect. And it, and you're going to be able to take intimacy in very small doses. That's something that we got to get because most of us, this rehab process, we expect something of ourselves that's totally unreasonable. Right. Like if, if you're going to reconnect to somebody after years worth of, of trauma, honestly, around connection, it's not like, you know, if somebody gets a shark attack, you're going to just throw them in the pond with like a great white shark. No, it's like you maybe, maybe from outside of the cage, you might look at sharks first and then maybe you like touch really friendly one first, you know? Mm -hmm. So this process of, of bringing that fearful self into the center of the relationship is something where your success is measured in teeny little increments. So when I've got somebody who's in that state, they can't handle an hour worth of connection maybe 15 minutes and then you let them see, I can actually choose to get away. And then you just keep coming back, coming back until eventually it's like the muscle grows and somebody goes to, oh, I can do it for 15 minutes. Oh, I can do it for half an hour. Oh, I've got a really good friend where I can always do it. And then it just expands and expands from there. Thank you. Thank you for that. And how would you recommend for people to find that new demographic, um, you know, to connect with people who can, you know, who, what we're talking about here and the, um, you know, the radical change that, that we are all feeling we want to bring forth. Well, assuming, assuming that you don't have some people in your life that you feel like are sort of better candidates than others for this. I feel like, you know, when, when there are events being held by people who are already talking about this stuff, you know, like people like myself, it could be other teachers too, but people like myself who are openly and actively talking about the fact that intimacy is a requirement, teaching people how to receive other people's emotions. If you go to those types of gatherings, chances are you're going to be around a demographic of people who are a lot more on that wavelength. Yeah, so I think that's the benefit, regardless of whether it's me or another another spiritual person or not even a spiritual person at all, somebody who's teaching these things, the benefit of going to their demographic is that they're going to be aligned with that. That would be what I would do if I was in a position where I had no one. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's been wonderful talking with you, Teal, and thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom and your experiences here. I think you've helped so many people just on this call alone, so can imagine in all of your work you're doing beautiful work and um, I really encourage everybody who's watching this live or watching as a recording to check out Till's book and um, let me go back and read the title of it again sorry or Teal would you like to say a word about that it's called the anatomy of loneliness yes the anatomy of loneliness and for those of you that don't remember um, because you're listening today if you if you pre-order the anatomy of loneliness and you send that proof of purchase to gifts at tealswan.com, you're going to get an instantaneous download of the audio version, which I read myself, of the connection process as well. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. And I just put that uh, gifts at tealswan.com in the chat for everybody to reference if they need it. 
All right. Well, thank you, Teal. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And thank you so much for being a part of Embracing Radical Change. Thanks for having me. We don't have to be alone, you guys. It doesn't have to keep going. I love you. Thanks. Bye.